Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 563. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And I always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, take it away, sweetie. Well, we're going to talk about finding alignment. Finding alignment. Which we'll... I'm going to write that down. Okay, but we'll go deeper into that. But before we dive into that depth... But first... I wanted to talk about Chadwick Boseman. Yes. I wanted to talk about why I think it was... Well, first of all, I know it was shocking when anyone as young and as um, gifted as he is dies, but it was bigger. For those of you who don't know, he's the guy who played Black Panther. Among other characters. Yes. He also played James Brown. He also played uh, Thoroughgood Marshall. He also played um, Jackie Robinson. He played a lot. And I think that's kind of the issue is not only was he talented and you know a great actor, but he played really iconic people and brought them to life for us so people could see the world a little differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, especially for kids who were really, you know, Wakanda Forever kids, you know, to kids who love T'Challa and adults for that matter, because I did too. Um, I do too. Um, I think it was just, it kind of took the wind out of us. It knocked the wind out of us. Like, wait, this is somebody that we need. Do you know what I mean? I do. Like every loss is felt and every every person who is no longer with us, you know, there's a hole, you know, there's a place where they belong and that will miss what they have to offer. But there's something about Chadwick Boseman that just felt a little bigger. Well, and the shock. Yeah. We didn't know he was sick. No, no. Like Cameron came down and it's like he died. We're like, what? Yeah. she. It was kind of late because a lot of people said they woke up and found out and my daughter was you know, shocking on social media and came down and told us like in the middle of the night. And we were like, wow. Yeah. 43 years old. And I think you're right. I think the other part of the story, besides the the iconic characters that he played and how he kind of gave us a different vision for the future, right? Is that he also, um, we found out that he had cancer for four years and that he had been still making movies and still working during that time and still offering what he had to offer to the world sure. while he was sick and doing and having chemo. And there's something about that that makes it even more difficult. Bitter, bittersweet. Yes. Amazing, but difficult. And I was just telling some of my friends this, that, you know, and then you go back and read stories about him. So he went to Howard University. He also went to Oxford. Um, but when he was like at Howard University, I guess Angela Bassett came to visit the school and he was the student chosen to escort her. Oh, wow. And in Black Panther, she ends up being his mother. Yes. So think about that. And then the other story is that he, and this, I used to think this was a made up story, but Denzel Washington has said it's true. Denzel Washington secretly paid for him to take acting classes when mm. he was younger. So there's all this like- how, how did that happen? I don't know. There's If you Google it, there's a bunch of stories about no it and he has confirmed it. I, I'm almost positive, either that or I'm yeah. reading the wrong things. But he was already, even before he had started, he was already like- connected. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Even without knowing, yep. you know, like he was already. So I just know for those of you who felt hit hard by that, I did too. And if it's like confusing to why, I think 
maybe we've touched on some of the reasons why. Um, and when I say confusing to why, like people pass away every day, yeah. you know, in, in the entertainment industry, but some people kind of come and bring something even more special. Um, and when they are not here anymore, especially when they die early, it, it hits us harder, I think. This is what Barack and Michelle said, to be young, gifted, and black, to use that power to give them heroes to look up to, to do it all while in pain. What a use of his ears. So, you know, Barack basically just said it more succinctly than I could ever. You know, it's just to be all those things, young, gifted, and black, and then to utilize his talents to offer something so meaningful to everyone but especially I think young kids, young kids who are black yeah. to see, like, do you remember walking out of Black Panther do you, together? Uh, sort of. And I just remember being like, God, like that is, when do we get to see that? Mm-hmm. When do we get to see in that kind of black empowerment and strength and beauty yep. and not just of the people, but of where they live and yep. what they do. It, it, I, I I would contend that we never see that in the media on the we silver don't, screen on the media. Yeah, and there was something it's just just beautiful. And I think I I know that we talked about this years ago when Black Panther came out. But like I cried a bunch during Black Panther. Well, it's in, because of those women, right? It was the women too. You're right. It women wasn't just women were portrayed T'Challa. as like uber powerful yeah. and smart and strong. strong the leaders um yeah that was probably why too i i know it was why so i just wanted to say that for those of you who have been thinking about it and for maybe sure. being thinking more about it than you thought mm-hmm. um i just wanted to share that and i also wanted to share big news that i shared on social networking which is that i have a book coming out my friends i've been talking I've been talking about writing for probably the past four years. I'll, you know, just say in commentary, yeah, and I was writing or I was downstairs writing. And I've had a few emails from people or my clients saying, what are you writing? (laughs) You talk about it all the time. And so the story in a nutshell, because it doesn't, it could take two hours to tell. The basic story is about four years ago, I decided I just wanted to focus on writing so I could uh, work in traditional publishing, which is different than self-publishing or small publishing, which it, when I say small publishing, small publishing house, which is what I did before. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those were amazing experiences and I'm so grateful for them because, but I- The big publishing is usually accompanied by a ton of rejection. A ton of rejection. self-publishing, you can kind of- You do on your own. kind of do it. And I basically was like, not only do I want to go traditional publishing route, but I, I want- I want an editor, I want support, I want an agent. I, I don't want to do this alone anymore. Mm. I want to feel part of a writing team. And so and JC was a freshman. I remember exactly where we were on the beach when I was like, I'm going to do this. This is like a goal for me, thinking it'd take like six months to a year. Right. And here we are four years later. It is anybody who is already in the traditional publishing world who's listening to this or anybody who's considering it, it's a it's a marathon. It's a long process. And, and I'm not even... It's not like I'm yeah, even done. In a way, you haven't even, haven't even gotten begun. to the starters line. Correct. Exactly. So I say that because I didn't know that. And even though people around me told me that, you always think somehow your experience will be different. So I basically wrote a book, um, finished it, uh, sent it around to a bunch of places, found an agent through my friend Rhea, um, that I, my agent that I love, Rachel. And she sent my book everywhere and it was rejected everywhere. Yeah. It was uh, the format of the book was not... You'd, you'd always be like, got rejected by somebody else today. Woo! Rejected. Um, and basically the format of the book, people were like, nobody wants this kind of format. Um, and I was like, but they do, but they do. Um, I felt like they did, but they said no. So 
basically, uh, I don't know, what was it, a year and a half ago, I was like, well, what are these publishers saying? And the publishers, they were kindly rejecting my work, saying we like the writing, we like the direction, we like the tone, we just don't like the format. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, well then I'll change the format and use all the other things. And so I wrote a second book. Mm -hmm. So I've really written two books in four years. And that book is the one that was bought um, by Hatchet Publishing. And now it is going to be put into the world basically at the end of next year, 2021, or early 2022, January, maybe earlier. Like, you never know. I know when it's due. Mm -hmm. It's due March 1st. And then there's a whole process of, you know, getting it out there. But there's just, I don't know for sure, but I'll keep you posted. So you've written three books. You self-published. Uh, do you self-publish the third I self one? I self-published two. The third one was more like a hybrid, small publishing house model. You wrote a fourth. Mm-hmm. And got rejected. Got rejected. <laughs> so you're like, well, what else needs to be birthed here? And you're right. like, there's another book in me. So you wrote the fifth book, which which has you. We now have a publisher. Uh -huh. So the fourth one's kind of sitting on the shelf, and we'll see what happens with right. that. But I just want to like, for the sake of everybody else who's a fan of the show and yours specifically, sweetie, I'm just very happy for you slash us, but mostly you. Thank you. And it's a lot, I can't imagine, like picture this, like I'm somebody who kind of likes immediate feedback. I can't imagine how lonely of, of an experience it is to write a book. Mm, I love it. Because I haven't read any of it. Uh -uh. I mean, you've, you've said that I could if I wanted to, but part of me wants to kind of wait, but I don't have the discipline to, to write and not know how it's going. Yeah. And you do it. And I'm always impressed by you and your discipline and your knowledge and your wisdom and just the idea of writing and in this in this type of system. It just it's very, very difficult. So it's different, but I have loved every minute of it. Even the rejections were funny. They were good for me and they were good for my girls and it was kind of a Yeah, way um, to model it. <laughs> Because we're always like, you know, it's okay. Now you know, you know, life kicks you in the butt. You get back up off the ground and all that. And, and everybody you work with is like, get ready to be rejected. Because you have to remember, everything is about anything, you guys. Things are about timing. Things are about you being a good fit. Things are about the the right editor reading your work. Things are about, you know, like... There's so many pieces that have to fit together. It's part of the reason I love listening to podcasts about the entertainment industry and shows or movies getting greenlit and how it's got to be the right time, the right person, the right yeah. – everything is like – and so when it does eventually fit together, it feels so good. And yeah. and and that's kind of – even though we're not going to talk about my book anymore after this, it feels in alignment. Sure. Which is exactly what we're going to discuss today. Finding alignment. Finding alignment. So – um, I would like to, and by the way, the book is actually called Zen Parenting, or mm -hmm. at least it is now. I okay. kind of hope it stays that way. Okay. Um, so I wanted to talk about alignment and, and I, let's just try and have this conversation and I'm not quite sure where we're going to go, Okay. but I was thinking there's a few things that happened in the last couple of days where I've been like, you know, what really feels like the most important thing? Like, mm -hmm. what is the thing that, you know, everybody comes to either therapy or they come to a relationship or a job or, and they're looking for something to make them feel better. Mm. Right. And they're, or right now, like my daughter is a senior and we've been talking about not only her college search, but her friend's experience with the college search and what they're looking for and why and how the process is going. And it's like this, 
this belief that there's something out there that will fill us up, make us worthy, feel like we belong. And that is, I think even if we know that intellectually that's not the way, I think it's very difficult for us to not follow that kind of belief system as we're going through life. That even though we may learn you know, even when we're 12 years old, oh, I thought that when I got this, you know, this place on the soccer team that then I would be happy and everything would be fine. I figured out that that wasn't the truth. So now I've learned a lesson and I'm going forward. Yet it's sometimes hard to apply it to the next thing Sure. where we'll be like, oh, I thought if I got this, you know, this position, you know, it, in this job that then I would feel worthy and feel valued, but I still need more. Sure. So it's very hard to find that. And I'll tell you a story. This was a story I didn't want to tell you this morning is um, when I was, um, I've probably shared this before, but I'll, I'll share it in terms of what I'm talking about here is that when I was 16, I got in, I was like out with a bunch of friends and I got in trouble. I got, the police came and, you know, there was alcohol and all this kind of stuff. And uh, <laughs> that's how it felt. That, that's the police. <laughs> that's the police. So that's how it felt. And um, and my parents had to pick me up from the um, police station. Love it. And and actually, it's, it's kind of funny because I always tell this, even though it's irrelevant because I still got picked up. It wasn't like I was really drunk or anything. Sure. I was just in a group with people. Wrong place, wrong, wrong time. Place, wrong maybe, time. A, maybe a few decisions could have been made better. Exactly. But nothing there was, in, in, inherently really bad. Yeah. That's what my dad would always say to me. He's like, why don't you run? Like what, what's wrong? Why are you always Fatherly there? advice from John Cassani, <laughs> run faster. Run faster. But he said that because I tended to always be in those situations and I would be like, I'm really not doing anything here. I'd had maybe one beer. I would, you know, like, it, but I still got in trouble. And I remember being so embarrassed and just so overwhelmed. And my parents, you know, picked me up and brought me home. And I remember that I was sitting with my mom. Uh, we were watching on WGN To Kill a Mockingbird, and I was watching it with her. And it was like middle of the night movies. Do you remember those like middle of the night movies sure. on WGN? Yep. And I was watching it, and obviously To Kill a Mockingbird has enough meaning inside of it that I could make this story good. But it really was less about wanting to be Atticus Finch and more about I remember lying there thinking all these things that I think I want to do, like all these, like, oh, I need to be at this party or I can't say no to this or I need to be there or I need to be this person. And in the middle of that like moment, I realized that really the only thing that made me happy is when I felt like I was being myself and all I wanted to do was like sit out on my front porch and just be who I was. Yeah, I know that's like a funny story, but it was my first time that I was like, if I feel good about my choices and they are indeed my choices, then I don't need anything else. And it was kind of that first, I was only 16. There's, it's not like, believe me, I didn't learn it then. Yeah. I experienced it for the first time and have since returned to that kind of remembering. But it's so vivid. It's like one of those memories that I can, I remember where I was laying on the bed. I remember watching the movie and I was like, I, I had that moment of, I would give everything up now if I could just feel like myself sitting on my front porch just being Kathy, you know? Now, of course, I went back to school, and then you get overwhelmed again by all the things you have to do, and then life goes on. But you were going to ask me a question. Well, what it made me think of, and I don't know if this is the same feeling you did, but, you know, when you're in your teenagers and you go out with friends, you tend to, like, at least I got worried that, oh, I might get into some trouble tonight because some of my friends don't make a lot of good choices and I'm with them and all of a sudden I'm going along with them. And then 
when I would get home, whether or not I got in trouble or not, when I get home, I would always feel so safe. Mm. Like I always went out worried. Yes. Because I might make some bad decisions or my friends might make some bad decisions. And it's funny, like I was at, I was uneasy about it. And then after a night of either breaking rules or not breaking rules, when I got home, I just felt so much more in alignment and comfortable in my own skin. And I, I wonder if that's kind of what I think it is. I think it's, felt. I think it is exactly what you just said, where I was kind of like in a cozy environment yeah. where I didn't need to be all the things to all the people. Yeah. And I could just enjoy my home as me without all that risk and without all that uncertainty. And it, but there was also that deeper layer below, which is what is it that really make it? There's that. And then what is it that really makes me feel whole Mm -hmm. and integrated? Because it's not doing the things my friends want me to do, even though no one was talking me into anything. It's just, you're just trying to be everything to everybody. You're putting on a mask of somebody who you, you're, you're putting, you know, we all play roles. And when you went out with your friends, when you're 15 or 16 years old, you have to put on your, your role, whoever you, whoever you show up to be in that. Whereas when you're at home, you can take the mask off. Right. And, and I think that that, let me get deep with what you just said. When you're out trying to be successful or demonstrate to people your worth, Mm -hmm. it feels uncertain. But when you come home to yourself, you just don't need as much. And so like you're talking about literal home. And I'm trying to say that if you feel good about the choices you're making and you feel in alignment with what your next choice is or what your goals are or what your hopes are, you will feel mm-hmm. better. How do I say it? Not better than, it's not about being feeling better than other people. You will feel safer and more, you know, and, and this is what's so interesting is this doesn't mean stay home and do nothing because people right now who are protesting feel so in alignment. Sure. You know, you and I have been to protests. Like when you're there, you know there's no other place you're supposed to be. Yeah. You're like, this is part, this moment is part of what I know I need to do. And and there, and so you're not at home in your house safe. You're at home in who you are. Well, and you know, to go back to the high school example, I remember like deciding whether or not I want to go out that night. And there was times when I went out when I didn't really want to, but it was because I felt like well, to. I have to go experience, I, I have to put myself out there a little bit. And it's so different than what you just said about protests and going out with your friends when you're 15 years old. But there is a balance where you do have to kind of nudge yourself. At least I had to nudge myself out because if I never went out with my friends, because I knew my friends are making some bad decisions and I know we're all over the place with this conversation, but. Well, yeah. And, and again, you, and again, this is where you and I always tend to go in conversation. You're being very literal yes. about, I need to go out Yes, and you can go out but are you yourself no. while you're out? That's the, that's the home I'm talking about, right. is that there's the literal, I'm at my house or I'm not, and then there's I'm being myself or I'm not. Yeah. And home is the metaphor, not the metaphor, it is the um, the basis, the foundation of everything, yeah. if it means your house or if it means who you are. And I think that you know what I experience with people is that, or myself, like this isn't just about my clients, this is about me too, is that that wholeness, these holes that we have in ourselves where we're like, I don't feel worthy or I don't feel like enough, we keep trying to achieve something different. 
um, we keep trying to, if I was only friends with this person, or if I could only make, have, make this much more money, or if I only had this business experience, or if I only had gotten my college degree or my master's degree, then I'd be worthy. And those are all like out there things yes. that could be something that is an important part of your story, but yeah. they may not be, meaning only if they feel in alignment with who you are. I sometimes think we look at someone else's story. Like, let's just use Chadwick Boseman for an example. Okay. There's a lot of actors that may be like, I want Chadwick Boseman's career, right? Yeah. I want to do what he did. I want to be as impactful as he is. I'm going to follow his lead and follow the way he did it. You can't because that was Chadwick Boseman's right. job. Yep. You can be an actor, but he had to follow his work and his and with his gifts and his dreams and what he could offer and that became his home but when people try and model themselves after other people or follow the lead of other people you can take you and I used to have this argument all the time about Tony Robbins do you remember no there was this thing you told me Tony Robbins always taught that he would say if somebody's already invented the wheel just follow their yeah, yeah. pattern yeah so explain that what you would say Let's say you're trying to build a business and you want to build a Zen parent. You want to do a parenting podcasting business. Okay. What Tony would advise me to do is look to see who's doing it as well or better than you and do what they do and bring your own stuff into it as well. But to create it from nothing, which I think a lot of us feel like we have to do, is not leveraging your resources. So, so Tony taught me that in terms of business growth. I don't know how it has to do with personal growth, but for business growth, well, it seemed like, you know, who do I look up to? Who are some of my teachers? You can talk about Jesus or Buddha or Yoda or somebody like that. Like though that is when you are not reinventing the wheel, like Yoda, what do you do to to chill out or Buddha or Jesus, what, what were some things you guys did? Or like, maybe you have an uncle that's, that you just dig his energy. What does he do? Maybe he meditates for 10 minutes a day, or maybe he reads a lot of books, or maybe he spends a lot of time in nature. These are some of the things that I'm, that I'm kind of referring to. You know, and I, and I like the way you just described it because I, I, I used to kind of argue that with you, like, well, I don't think we should follow someone else's lead. I think we have our own path, but to your point, it's mm. a mixture of both. Right. Is that you can have role models where you say, I admire their career or I admire what they've done or I admire their sense of inner knowing or I admire whatever it may be, but then you can learn from them, but you can't be them. If you try to replicate it right. or, no, or duplicate it, like do it exactly, then you're forgetting about yourself. Correct. Like, I'll give you an example. And this is kind of a mixture because because we were just talking about writing in my book and stuff. There are about three or four authors that are my favorites. And I tend to, I actually have a ton of authors that are my favorites, but there's this certain feeling I get from certain authors where I model myself or my desires off of them. They're my role models. But in, and they're on my vision board and I look at them all the time, like just to, cause someone's going to say, what, who are they? Mary Pfeiffer's one of them. Danny Shapiro's one of them. Anna Quinlan's one of them. Judy Bloom is one of them. And there's this, this thing that they carry that I feel like they are really grounded and down to earth and their actual life 
right. is their life and writing is just something they do in their life. Yeah. So they feel very real to me and accessible. And when they write, they write from a place of personal experience rather than I'm just going to teach people things. Right. They're writing from their experience. Cheryl Strait is also one of those people. So I put them on a vision board, but I don't look at those people and say, I'm going to be... Danny Shapiro. Right. Like there's, that's not possible. Yeah. But there can be an energy that we pull from. So it, we're kind of getting off the beaten path, but I think the, or we're not getting off the beaten path, we're getting off of the actual topic. But I think that alignment is how you, is what we're always, that's where wholeness lives. Right. That's where a sense of purpose and belonging and self lives is it doesn't live being someone else or doing what other people are doing, it's finding your own center. And when you are in your own center, you can be alone in the woods right. and feel content. Right. And this is hard to know if you don't even know what your center is. Right. Are you going to play something for us? Well, I think we might. I have to. I might have to cut this up because it's three minutes long. Okay. Chapter nine: Your inner purpose, finding your purpose. This is Eckhart and Oprah, and Eckhart is distinguishing the difference between inner purpose, inner purpose, and outer purpose. Ooh, okay. There is no substitute for finding true purpose. Hmm. So how do we do it? Now, what you just read basically, of course, means that many people spend their lives in a state of almost permanent dissatisfaction, Right. unfortunately. Uh, so they may be looking for some purpose or they may have given up hope that there is some purpose for them and they're just surviving mm -hmm. or making a living or caught up in the doing. Caught up in the doing, mm -hmm. uh, in the stress of it. Right. And so usually when we talk about purpose, when people talk about purpose, they think in, of purpose in terms of future. Where am I going? What am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. What's the direction I'm going? What is my goal, the goal that I want to achieve? And that, of course, is there. It has its place, but I call that the outer purpose. More fundamental than the outer purpose is what most people usually overlook, and that is the realization that what matters most is finding your inner purpose. So inner purpose is aligning your life fully with the present moment so that you are no longer out of alignment with the present moment, which leads to the state of dissatisfaction that we talked about, mm -hmm. that is the reality for many people. Mm -hmm. So you have to go, first of all, beyond the state of dissatisfaction that is so many people's reality. Right. But you cannot go beyond the state of dissatisfaction through some future goal that says, one day I would like to be in a state of fulfillment or satisfaction. No, you have to enter the state of fulfillment and satisfaction by becoming one internally with the present moment. And the, your purpose then, your inner purpose, is that alignment with where you are right now, to be totally where you are and whatever you are doing, even if it doesn't look like your, the life purpose for the, that you right. want for the next 30 right. years, right. whatever you are doing now, to be total in doing it, and no matter what it is, to be true, to life by being true to this moment. So, in summary, he's being outer purpose is all the crap that we think that we want. And I think what he's saying is inner purpose is just 
the only way to arrive to the inner purpose is arriving through presence now. right now. And that's the thing is like I wrote down as I was listening, he outer purpose is I got to get somewhere. Right. And inner purpose is you just got to be where you are. Right. And I think, you know, my story about the watching to kill a mockingbird, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember exactly the language that I use, but the way I always remember it is I, w- I didn't want to go out and, and not just go out of the house, but I didn't want to go out and do anything anymore. I just wanted to sit on my front porch and be there. Presence. Like I just wanted to appreciate life and be like, I appreciate being Kathy, whatever yeah. that means at 16. Yeah. Like I didn't. I was tired of like trying to like trudge through life mm-hmm. of like, I need to be something or do something. And, and let me be clear. I didn't get it after that moment, meaning I, I had the first flash of it. Life is an, is an experience of going through the same motion again and again, where you relearn over and over again in different words and through different experiences. But he's saying, you know, aligning your life fully with who you are means just doing right now. Well, what's interesting is Let's go back to DeKalb, Illinois from uh-huh. whatever, 1987 or how old you were. And you're 16 years old and you caught a glimpse. Yeah, I did. Of mm-hmm. presence. Now, what's interesting is us human beings are very clever, like that was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. How do I get that again? Mm-hmm. So then we start, we could even start trying to create our world to arrive at some other place of presence. Like I want to feel like I did that day on the front porch. And by doing that, you're taking away your taking yourself away from the present moment. It, it remind, reminds me of a Jim Carrey commencement thing where he described this this unbelievable, just like inner feeling of peace. alignment and peace. And he's like, "I thought it would stay there forever, and I've been trying to get back there ever since." Right. And and all they are. And the thing is, is and he was joking when he said it, and I know he knew this, but you can never get back there because that's moment. Has that's already somewhere, passed. yeah, and it's somewhere else. It's somewhere else, and that, and that you're not supposed to have constant enlightenment. We couldn't tolerate constant enlightenment. We have, we have processes in our body and brain to keep us alive and human on this earth. I think some people claim to have that constant enlightenment. Well, now. We can have awareness of what's most important, but we're still human, meaning that I can know now that I'm 49 years old and have had plenty of these glimpses either by pain or a natural state or meditation or yoga. I've had plenty of them. Yeah. But I still am a human being that wakes up and then worries and then gets in the shower and thinks about something and gets afraid. Like, it's not like I can keep from having human emotions. Well, it's funny because um, I was in a debate this morning. I'm in this virtual book club with some guys in my men's group, and we're going through Michael Singer's course, uh, Living from a Place of Surrender. And one thing that Michael Singer explained was... Uh, he talked about the first noble truth, which is life is suffering, mm-hmm. and then the second noble truth is life is preference or something like that. Did he explain, though, that life is suffering doesn't mean life is bad? Um, well, or- it's funny. Tony, the guy that was I'm with, he's like, really, suffering is the wrong word. That's it not is. what the Buddha meant. No, not at and all. And the way Tony explained it to me was it's more like unsatisfactory. So like, I, I think of suffering as this big, heavy word, like misery and suffering and the way Tony explained it to me, and maybe this is different where you were going, but he's like, 
Suffering is the wrong English word for what he meant. It's just like how the Bible has been translated and then it gets lost in yeah. translation. Life is suffering. It, it's actually, I think they use the word dukkha. Mm-hmm. Uh, life is suffering. It doesn't, he didn't mean, I agree with Tony, but the word I always use is life is change. Mm. So by definition of change, that means we're born and then we die. Yeah. That means we're a certain age and then we grow up. That means we have an experience and it goes away. It's it's not about life is suffering like you're going to be in chronic pain. It means nothing stays. Mm-hmm. The moment doesn't stay. You know, things can come back and recycle like the seasons, but this 2020 season is different than 2019 season. Yeah. Like it, it's like every snowflake is different. You can't it, it, suffering to me, what's better in the Four Noble Truths is to, instead of starting by saying life is suffering, which people get the wrong idea, mm-hmm. is life is constantly and continually changing. Yeah. And you have to accept that if you're going to be able to go on to the next three noble truths. Yeah. And I think the second one is that the origin of suffering is preference, which is attachment and attachment. resistance. Mm-hmm. But one thing that Singer said in the course was that we wake up every morning thinking that our day is going to go a certain way. And the metaphor he gave to us is like, think about like when you're painting your room and he's like, for goodness sakes, there's like, if you take the paint swatches that you Mm -hmm. get from the paint store, the hardware store, there's like 45 different colors of white. And in order for us to be happy, we need that very nuanced shade of white to show up, eggshell white, (laughs) to show up in order for us to be happy. Right. And the odds of that showing up during our day is really, we're setting ourselves up for failure. It can happen, but it doesn't mean it always will, nor should our brain believe that it has the perfect idea that needs to happen or else the world is treating us poorly. Yes. Our brain, so the Four Noble Truths, just so everybody's on the same page, is number one is life is suffering, which really is just life is change. It's dukkha. That's what. It, that's why people always use that word in a funny way. I don't mm. know. It's like Buddhist humor. I think of Count Dooku. Uh, different. From but Attack of the Clones. But it could have been from that, yeah. knowing how Zen Star Wars is. Who yeah. knows? Um, and then the next one is... Um, that the causes of suffering, like what, you know, understanding what causes suffering, yeah. right? And we just talked about some of it. And then the cessation of suffering, meaning how to not feel that suffering. And it, it's not by avoiding anything. It's about accepting. Mm-hmm. And then here's how to... So it's like, this is the truth. This is why it's the truth. This is how to understand the truth, and this is how to live the truth. Yeah, is basically the four noble truths. Right. And then you know what you go into after that? Hmm. The eight, the, oh, the eight eightfold path. path oh is no next. way! Yeah, that's that's how you do it. So does like I, I don't know Buddhist doctrine very mm-hmm. well. So the four, four noble truths, and then we just did what I consider probably our best podcast or one of our best podcasts, which is. Um, podcast number 558 and 559, Mm -hmm. where we use the idea of our kids are on screen too much through the lens of the eightfold path. Mm -hmm. And it was a two hour discussion. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's like, why are my kids the way they are? How do I get them to join soccer or quit soccer or get an A or not fail or whatever? If you could do it through these eight, um, these eightfold path, it was, and we did it 
in reference to talking about my kids are on screen time too right. much, which is the we question we always get. We to utilize it with something people are really dealing with. Yeah, yeah. and that we just did that n- within the last four weeks. But anyway, so. So basically the answer to number four, the path to the cessation of suffering, meaning how do we do this? That's when you go to the eightfold path. Got it. And then does it stop at 12? Is there like a 13th something in Buddhism? Like, I don't know. Do you, well, there's the Four Noble Truths. Oh, and then it's Eightfold, the eightfold Path. path. So it's, not like, it's not like the fifth thing. No, it's no, It's not no. like five through whatever. Uh-huh. Okay, got it. And there's many. Though These are the ones that I think, I think if someone was a Zen master who's listening to this or someone who was very, um, you know, well-read mm-hmm. or is consider, considers himself a Buddhist, yeah. um, there's many different ways. Sure. And there's a lot of different language. And just like everything, just like everything, Anything, it grows and changes, meaning new teachers come up with new ideas. Yeah. So it's not just based in what Buddha said. Yeah. It's been evolving just sure. like Western psychology started with Freud and then we built on Freud. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So everything that you know grows and changes and it gets new language. But the whole just starting with what you said is that – so doesn't it seem funny when we know all that and we – have a child and we decide this is what this child is going to do and be. Yeah. You are going to run into so many freaking brick walls with that understanding. So I usually wake up saying, okay, um, I think that I'm going to go work out and I think my girls are going to have a good day at school. And I think that I'm going to have a good day at work. Like all these things have to happen in order for me to be at ease. Right. Which is a recipe for disaster because life is messy. Correct. Right. I think the first noble truth would be life is messy. So be okay when it's messy. It really is. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Life is suffering. Life is messy. Yeah. Life is change. Life is not going to go the way you planned. Right. Use whatever language works for you. Uh, Buddha doesn't care. Yeah. You know, Siddhartha is not mad. Yeah. Jesus doesn't care how what words we use. Right. Like as long as we are like, you know, living what it's it's not about the exact words or language or being able to recite the right quote it's the practice this is what this whole show is about is like i you know people will come to me and tell me about this book they read and this quote and they'll send me this and i'm like this is great like in no way am i saying that's not good but if you're not putting that understanding into practice who cares like it's you know that's great information but if you don't know how that translates into real life, and going back to what you said about being 16 and then, you know, getting out, I'm totally going back, yeah. way back, being on my porch, that was, it was about a week later that I found a Wayne Dyer tape. Oh, there you so go. I did want to continue the understanding, yeah. but through a different path. But then I started to memorize what he said and not practice it. But what he said made me feel better. And then you have to go through that of like, wait, this is just language, this is not a practice. And then you start all over. I mean, like, there is no end to this. And this is what I think people don't understand is that it's great if you just got your degree or you became a social worker or a doctor, or if you just finished your yoga teacher training, or it's great if you just got your life coach certification, but that's just information. Mm -hmm. Now you have to continually practice it and understand that you're going to hit walls and that you're going to be, you're going to make mistakes and that you're going to get rejected yeah. and that you're going to, and that's what the practice is for is how do you respond then? Yeah. JC and I were just having a conversation upstairs. It's a long story, but something that's happening with some people she knows who are arguing about something and there's a lot of like, I just need to yell at this person and then I'll feel better. And I just need to, they need to know how I feel. And this isn't even just with teenagers. I talked to 40 year olds sure. about this kind of stuff. And this, that that's working from our least conscious self. Sure. 
That is, I'm just going to react to my feelings of anger and rejection and just blame you. This is what we do in politics. I'm not going to be conscious. I am not going to look at my actions. I'm just going to do whatever I want and say whatever I want. Yeah, I'm not going to own anything. Right. I'm just going to vomit all over whoever I need to vomit onto. And to bring it back to what we're talking about, that is not in alignment. No. And you will feel bad. <laughs> like the work of... Even if someone hurts you, like say someone hurts you, sure. the practice of talking it through, feeling all the feelings, anger, sadness, disappointment, regret, working that through, and then responding from a place of your deepest, most aligned self, mm -hmm. that's what will help you heal. Not making that person feel bad, not making them feel guilty not telling them how they're going to have karma, you know, and it's going to come back around. Those things that we think are going to make that person, like make us feel better, like hurting the other person, it won't. Well, and to get back to Eckhart, what yeah. you're describing is one pain body is being engaged by another Correct. pain body. Correct. Do you want, do you dare want to define pain body? Um, sure. Let's, this bit, is like season two Zen parenting. Yeah. We used to talk about this like eight years ago. Um, but basically the pain body in everybody's body. It's like, um, it can be described as part of the ego or a piece of the ego. And basically it's just like, I, I visualize it like a big ball of all of our pain, trauma, fears, experiences, worries, maybe, you know, generational trauma that we didn't even really experience, but yeah. got passed down to us, societal norms, expectations, um, and every horror movie we've ever seen wrapped into it, like, it's like this ball that mm -hmm. lives inside of us. And so when someone engages with us in a way that's negative, like they hurt us or disappoint us, the pain body is what speaks up first. It's all the mixture of the fears and the worries and we're not enough and we not we don't belong. And that's what often gets first voice. And I don't mean first voice that it's vocalized first, but it's the first feelings that come up. You want to hear what Eckhart called yeah, it? Yeah, please. Totally defines a pain body as the human tendency to perpetuate old emotion, which is accumulated in their energy field. He says any negative emotion not fully faced and seen for what it is in the moment becomes a remnant of pain we carry with us throughout our lives. For, so for me, like that's just shadow stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It is. Every like experience, and he, like he says, it's everything we haven't worked Processed. through right. because it is, you can, you can have a traumatic experience. Like some of us are so afraid of trauma. Like what if this trauma, you know, what if this hurts my kids or my kids have a trauma? If your kids have a negative experience and they're able to talk about it and work through it and and have some experience with talking about it and understanding it, it doesn't then live in your body anymore. You, you'll have the scar, yeah. like you'll remember it, but it doesn't have to be pushed down or repressed and not looked at. Like Todd and I, one thing that's been super important to us, and this is just something I think everybody can relate to is like a lot of us grew up in families and a lot of our parents grew up in families where when someone died, you just stopped talking about yeah. them. You just, there was a death. You just didn't talk That's about the them anymore. That's the house I grew up in. Did you grow up in a house like that? Um, 
You didn't have a lot of people die though. No, your family I had a smaller. very small family. So I don't remember it one way or the other. I remember not talking about it. And that's one thing I will pat myself on the back for. We talk about my mom and your dad all the time. And that's what I was going to say is one thing that's been very important to us when it comes to death. And this is including our fish, our rabbit, my father, your mother. Um, my um, my mother right now is, you know, she's been diagnosed with dementia and is struggling. Is These are not things we hide. We have about... We have a picture of your mom and my dad in our kitchen framed. See every day. And we talk about them every day. Do you remember when uh, Greeley, our rabbit, died? Yeah, yeah. And there was a part of you that didn't know what to do because the girls were at school when he died. Yeah. And you thought about removing his pen. Right. And you talked to Jessica. Yeah. And Jessica said, leave that there. Leave Leave everything there because you don't want to take away. Taking away the cage (laughs) does not decrease their sadness. Right. You know, they're... I remember, do you remember when, um, so we had this goldfish and his name was Goldie. His name is Goldie. We got really creative and he was from like a carnival and we couldn't believe how long he lived. I won him at a daddy daughter princess thing. Very nice. And we couldn't believe how long he was living. And then there was one point when one of my daughters said, you've changed that fish, haven't Mm. you? That fish has died and you put a new fish in, which we never did. And she had read in a book that someone had done that. And I said, I would never do that. If that fish died, as a family, we would grieve that loss. Like pretending that that fish didn't die to avoid that loss, you might get away with it, but you also then have to perpetuate this lie. You're just kicking the can down the road. Life is death. Life is death. Right? And that's part of life. That's first noble truth. Life is death? No, suffering, like loss. Yes, it's the same thing. It's part of what we signed up for. I know. I just heard a teacher the other day say it's, she said, it could have been Harriet Lerner. I can't remember. She said, it's so funny to me that the two things that we all have in common are the two things that shock us the most. Number one, being born, Mm -hmm. like a baby's born and we're all like blown away by Mm -hmm. it. And number two, that we all die. Someone dies and we're all blown away by it. Yeah. She's like, those are the only two things that we all have in that common. That we all have in common. And, and whether this is sad or inspirational, I'm not sure. But the fact that we all experience it, we all have our own experience with it alone. I know we're obviously with our mom when we show up. And maybe when we pass and transition to another plane, there's people around us. But really, it's an individual thing that we Always. all share. Mm-hmm. And we all, we've all done it, meaning we haven't, not all of us are, have passed yet. We're still here having this conversation, but we were all born somehow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and we all went through that. And yet when a baby's born, we're like, can you believe it? And again, I think that's beautiful that we're so astounded by it. I don't think that's a negative, but what I'm saying, isn't it interesting well, that that blows us away? And yes, and I was just talking to my friend Larry about this last week. Think about all the things that had to happen for us to show up on this earth. I know. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few things. One is my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma had to meet my great-great-great-great-great-grandpa and then carry that down for every generation between then and now. I know. Okay, so that's crazy. And then my dad had sex with my mom and the amount of sperm that's going on is like a bazillion sperm. And TMI. This, this happens to be the one right. that fertilized the egg. Like I am a freaking miracle. Right. Like it's unbelievably how miraculous the birth of any being on this planet is. And yet we get frustrated when our car, our neighbors get a better car than we do. Right. Like we're not enough right. unless I have as good of a car as my neighbor does. It's just insane. It's insanity. I know. I was, you're so 100% right. And 
I, okay, so listen to this. So Mel Robbins, you know who she is. She has a TV show. She's a self-help speaker. In her TED talk, Mm -hmm. she says that scientists estimate the probability of your being born at about one in 400 trillion. Okay, I'm going to keep, I'm going to go one further with you on that. In this Michael Singer course, one thing he said is, because he's fascinated with space and uh, universe and outer space, and he said 99.999999% of the universe is empty space. <laughs> and he he said the speed of light, just to give you some perspective on how fast the speed of light is, in a second, a speed the, at the speed of light, if we were going to grab on the coattail of a, of a light beam... In one second, it would circ- it would circle the globe seven times, uh-huh. really fast. The nearest star outside of our solar system is over four light years away. Okay. So think of the amount of distance between uh, where w- this Earth that we're experiencing and the neck and the star closest to us, yeah. aside from our sun. It's unbelievable. Yet we are going to get offended because somebody cut us off on the road. Right. And by the way, the universe was created 13.8 billion years ago to allow us to experience whatever's in front of us right now and we get pissed at it. Well, and let me say this to always balance out that last part that you said, because I think some people who talk about self-help or personal growth will say, can you believe, you know, what you just said, light years, and we get pissed off when someone cuts us off. It is okay to get pissed off when someone cuts you off because that's part of being human. Like this is what we have to be careful of is we can't, we don't live in a galaxy far, far away. We live here on the earth and we have human feelings and emotions that are necessary for us to stay safe and survive. But what you just said is helpful is when we get pissed off, Mm -hmm. Can we allow that anger? Can we be like, okay, makes sense why I'm angry. You just cut me off, scared me, wasn't fair. I'm trying to get somewhere too. Right. And then gently let it go. Don't Move order through it. Order, disorder, reorder. Correct. Right? Right. And a bypass. I'm in, currently in a debate with my one of my best friends, Sean, about bypassing and skipping over. Correct. Like somebody cuts you off, you know, it's human to, that's not cool, Right. And then there's times when, you know, Sean or somebody else, like, it's just not worth it. I do that all the time. It's not worth it. And I push that pain down. Correct. I push that anger down. I push that fear down and I don't let it come through. And the, and the come through is, and a lot of times we don't let it come through because it's uncomfortable. Life is suffering. Yeah. Part of being alive we sign up is for. discomfort. And, um, <laughs> This is, this is getting really scary because I just started listening to, um, I've been telling Todd, sorry, little tangent. I've been talking to Todd about how much I love to watch, you know, movies and documentaries about cults and everything. Mm-hmm. And I always have, yeah. you know, all the Scientology stuff or whatever. Now there's one out about Nexium, which is a very relevant. I knew this is where you were going. I know. Me. But I the tell. reason why is because last night, the, the thing that what a cult does is they start to talk to you about things that make sense, just like the way you and I are. Like, and, you know, Keith Rainier, who started um, Nexium, he was the cult leader. Mm-hmm. He was starting to talk about these things like life is discomfort. Mm-hmm. And, and I said to Todd, we have to be so thoughtful about the way we talk about things in everyday terms and understand that because personal growth can sound so yucky, yeah. like culty. And, and I, part, I think part of my work personally, and I think yours too, is to not be like, you must think a certain way and just jump over it and, you know, don't deal with discomfort. It's about 
remembering your your humanity mm-hmm. at the same time and also remembering your individuality at yeah. the same time. And I know I know I'm getting away from what we were talking about, but I guess my point is is that you get cut off and you do get mad and that's okay. And you may have a different experience than Sean does with it. We mm-hmm. don't all have to have the same experience sure. with it because he may not get mad about being cut off and you do. Right. And he can look at you and say, oh, I just don't get worked up about it. But maybe something that works up Sean yeah. doesn't work up you. Yeah. So a lot of times we're arguing about something, going back to our own alignment, that this is we're just not on the same page about this. Well, it's all personal experiences. I can't tell you whether or not you're skipping over your emotions. Exactly. Only you can do exactly. that. Exactly. And that's where cults are gross to me yeah. because they tell you how to think and feel and that we all do yeah. the same thing. If you are ever in a situation, if it be because you're reading a book or you're with a group and they're saying, this is how we think and it's the only way we think and if you don't think this way, you're wrong. Yeah. I'm not saying that's absolutely a cult. I'm saying that's a more like group think kind of experience. Right. And you... And what my hope for people always is, is you can have, you know, going back to what we were talking about with Tony Robbins, there are people you can follow and there are guidelines you can follow and you can have role models like Mm -hmm. I do on my vision board. But in the end, it has to be you. How do you feel? Like, you know, this girl last night, sorry, going back to Nexium, who left Nexium, left the cult, it was because her intuition would not let her sleep. Right. And she's like, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And she was sick. And she was like, we have such a loud voice of our own intuition and we have to know. If we get quiet enough to hear it. Exactly. And if we're lucky, it we don't even have to be quiet. Mm-hmm. It's so loud yeah. that, or we give it enough space, like that's something that's super important to me is I have a lot of space for my own intuition. Do you know what I mean? Like, what do I mean by that? It means that I... Put yourself in a position to hear it. Yes. And that I trust it. Well, and I am somebody who's on the go, 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 go. Gotta go, gotta go, gotta do this, gotta do that. I'm getting better. I'm slowing down Mm -hmm. in my old age in the best of ways. Yeah, you are. But um, it's hard to hear that intuition. God, universe, whoever, Buddha, Jesus, me. You. if you don't have some silence. I know. Well, that picture I sent you today, our um, our second butterfly was born today. We've, we had two caterpillars and uh, Kamala, our first caterpillar was born about three or four days ago and she was lovely and in a hurry to go win an election. So she flew off quickly. And then John Ralphio was born today. He's our, he was our second one, and it was so beautiful because when he came out, he just kind of sat on Todd's finger for a while, and I took a picture, and I sent it to you, and you just look so beautiful in that picture. Did you get that picture? I did. I thought you were talking about the butterfly. No, you. You're a sweet man. Oh, thanks, sweetie. Like, he's just sitting there looking at a butterfly, and that is, you know, it's how, how many pictures do you see of men with a butterfly on their finger? Um, no. I don't know if I've ever seen a picture with a butterfly on my finger, on anybody, any man's finger. It just doesn't happen. It, the only time I've seen it, I think Leo Buscaglia, who used to be a big author when I was young, he was like a hugging guy. Like yeah. He had a picture with him holding a butterfly. Yeah. That's about it. And it's just a beautiful, like, that's slow. Yeah. You know? Um, can I play some John Ralphio for you? Please. Who are you? It's uh, Ben. He's here to help us with the paperwork. Ben, is that your real name? Yes. Oh, you could do better than that. I'm going to help you out right now. Your name is Angelo. Angelo, thank you so much for coming out. Get a thicker tie. It looks weird on you. It makes your head look like a fish. <laughs> Secondly, I don't know where the paperwork is, but when you find it, can you take care of it for us? We don't have any pens because we're afraid it's going to leak in our shirts. Lastly, I hate the name Angelo. I'm going to switch it up for you right now. Your new nickname is... Jello Shot. 
There you go. What do you think that Jay shot? Uh, um, listen, John Raphael's the best, and that's who our butterfly was named after. Um, we should close shop. All right, honey. I got to produce this show. Um, a few things. One is uh, Team Zen. We have a new Team Zen member. Team Zen member. His name is Ryan, and he's from Texas. Yeah. And he has a podcast, which I'm a big fan of. I've listened to one and a half of them so far. It's called True No True North with Abby and Ryan. And Abby and Ryan uh, meet up weekly to explore personal development, emotional wellness, and how to take cues from our bodies, minds, and experiences to find opportunities to grow as human beings. No intros, no music, no editing. So um, if you like us, I have a feeling you'll like Abby and Ryan. So I want to say thank you to Ryan for jumping in as a team member. We just celebrated our 100th Team Zen or Zen Talk. And uh, we're giving free T-shirts away to all members. Do you know, I just figured out the other day that, you know, how I've been saying, yeah, we've been doing it for two years. We've been doing Team Zen for three years. I don't know. I, well, I do know is what I'm saying. I don't, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, great. Three years. It seems like a long time. We started in 2017, August. All right. There you go. 18, 19, 20. There yeah. you go. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about Team Zen, it's 25 bucks a month. First month's free. Put in the coupon code FRIEND. Uh, it's a community. It's a virtual community where we kind of lean on and support each other. Kathy and I get on, do these Zen Talks twice a month. There's usually about 20 or 25 people on there. Um, you know, the team asks questions. We all support one another. We've got a Facebook page. Yep. What am I missing? We help us. We help each other get to our own internal alignment. Um, it is a very, you know, we support each other in finding ourselves. Zero pressure, a hundred percent support. Yeah. That's our tagline. Um, Try Ben's group. We are meeting this Wednesday for our Wednesday meeting, and then uh, are Saturday. you meeting this Wednesday for your Wednesday? meeting? We're meeting Wednesday for. <laughs> And then we're doing something new this Saturday. We're having a recovering men's virtual circle. So for any mean? men who are in a 12-step program or nice. something like that, led by my good friend Eric Tree. So um, if you're a guy or you know a guy and you want uh, to give them something that I think has a lot of value, which is to enter a space where guys can support and be supported by other guys, this is your spot. Well, let me, just for clarity, sure. it's a recovery men's group, but it's not... AA. It's no. a 12. You're not like doing that. It's like, it's its own this place. Is, this is, yes, it's not an AA meeting. It's, it's for guys who are in recovery just to spend time together. Yes. Nice. Yes. Have a conversation. Uh, so yeah, tribemensgroup.org. Uh, any people interested out there, just, um, check it out or send me an email at Todd at zenparentingradio.com. Lastly, Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout Chicagoland area. He just painted all four hallways of my apartment building. Did a wonderful job. Thank you, Jeremy. He's a bald headed beauty. 630-956-1800. Anything else you want to talk about, sweetie? Well, just that I think I might have to listen to this show because I have no idea how where we started and where we got to where we got to. But I think it really just is about the essence of what the show is always about, which is um, if you're working from your own sense of self and you feel good about who you are, then what you're going to give to yourself and your children is inherently good. And inherently good not what the outside world tells you you are but who you know you are from that very sacred place so does that make sense Todd? Uh, let me sum that up by just saying keep on trucking <laughs> have a good week adios thanks for listening everyone remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and feel free to leave a five star review on iTunes it helps people find us also subscribe and review our pop culturing podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. 
Do you want more Zen parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.